0: Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. We've moved into chapter 12 and a story that may be familiar to some of us, but we may have not spotted one of the details. How would you feel if you spent £30,000 in one day on perfume? How would you feel if you spent £30,000 on one thing for the church or for God. How would you feel if you saved a whole lifetime and you spent it on something spiritual that lasted about 10, 15 minutes? See, that's what goes on in this story. We're going to find out how somebody spent, or, as others in the room felt, wasted what we, at the equivalent today, of 30,000 pounds that had been saved for for a whole lifetime and blew it in one moment. Now, is that reckless? Is that embarrassing? Or is that devotion? And is that something we should copy? Now, the story is coming on after chapter 11, where uh, Lazarus had been taken ill, and he died. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, all of whom were friends of Jesus, had called out to him for help. And Jesus comes four days after Lazarus has been buried, and he raises him from the dead. And uh, the dead man came out. Uh, his hands and feet, this is uh, John 11:44, were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. He said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And uh, we read that many Jews had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him. So that day... They plotted to take his life because people were believing in Jesus. Others were jealous and envious and they plotted to take his life. Therefore, no longer, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region. This is all the end of chapter 11. He withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Epipharim where he stayed with his disciples. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he or is he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus would, was should report it so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, we moved into chapter 12, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, Bethany is a little bit outside. This is where Lazarus had lived uh, and where he'd done the resurrection. But uh, it's not Lazarus' home we discover in the... Uh, Uh, "'Other Gospels. Six days before the Passover, "'Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, "'whom Jesus had raised from the dead. "'Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. "'Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining "'with him at the table. "'Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, "'an expensive perfume. "'She poured it on Jesus' feet "'and wiped his feet with her hair.' And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, Matthew and Mark tell us of a similar, of the same story uh, in Matthew 26, Mark 14. The only difference is that they talk about a Mary starting at his head and pouring the oil over all of him. Uh, Whereas John wants to emphasize that she uh, not only had poured it all over him, but that she particularly paid attention to his feet. So some people say that's a a, a contradiction, but I think most scholars understand it's just two ways of describing the event. She poured the oil on his head, it flowed all the way down his body, and then she wiped his feet uh, and cleansed her feet uh, with her hair. It's a remarkable thing. Luke tells of a different encounter that's happened earlier where another woman, a woman of, uh, who's been forgiven much uh, in Luke 7, also washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And it's important to understand that's a different occasion, but there are similarities in what happens. The reason why this perfume was so expensive is that it was probably imported from India. A family would save up for their entire lives for this particular perfume because it would be used at their burial. It would be used to ensure that their grave swelt, smelt sweetly and not of rotting flesh. So the people who came to the, the grave in a, in a cave or whatever wouldn't be uh, put off from, mi- uh, from miles around by the smell. So this was something that middle-income people might do that required a lot of saving and a lot of preparation for a life. A bit like putting money into a funeral plan. And Mary pours it all on the living Jesus. He's not a dead body. One of the things that uh, struck me about this that I have to confess other commentaries haven't picked up that I've noticed. So maybe I've completely uh, made something up. But it could well have been that she had this perfume prepared for Lazarus. And for whatever reason, she hadn't used it on Lazarus, perhaps because she had faith that Jesus would come and that she, it wasn't needed for him. Or perhaps it was for her, her own uh, b- burial. We don't know. What we do know is that it appears to be a profoundly prophetic uh, um, action. It just symbolizes, because she is preparing Jesus for his death, which was to happen within a matter of days. And she is anointing him and preparing him for his final hours. We don't know whether she knew that. I think in her heart, she was simply wanting to express a profound gratitude, an overwhelming sense of love, because Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. That's where we get the 30,000 pounds from. Now, Matthew and and Mark tell us that uh, this was more than just Judas who said this, that there was a general feeling in the room that this was an extravagant waste of money. And I have to hold my hand up. I think that's what I would have thought. I think I would have said, come on, there's so many things we could do with 30,000 pounds. Do we really want to just uh, pour it all over Jesus and it be done? John, however, is a little bit more critical of Judas. He says that uh, he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So what John is suggesting is that Judas's motive was self-interest, that he was looking to follow Jesus for what he could get out of it. And he was seeing that what Mary was doing wasn't going to benefit him. It was going to bless Jesus rather than him, and he was objecting to it. So John is quite hard on Judas, where, whereas Matthew and Mark sort of say, well, a lot of people thought this. But Jesus responds, leave her alone, John 12:7. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And so he highlights the prophetic act that has just taken place. And he says, no, it's good. I want to just draw out two things for us around what Mary does and around the way in which Jesus receives and, will, and accepts it. The first thing is this, that what she had received was worth more than what she wanted to hold on to. What she had received was her brother back. What she had received was the resurrection of a a, a promise that was to come and that she saw in real life. She probably had received more than that from Jesus, being called to be a follower of his and to be loved and valued and known by him. And all of that in her mind equated to be worth more than 30,000 pounds, worth more than the perfume that she had saved up. And she wanted, which we'll look at in a moment, she wanted to express the value of what Jesus had done for her. And I guess many of us would struggle and say, well, why? So let's begin by trying to work out what it is that perhaps we value most that Jesus has done for us. Perhaps things that we need to just pause for a moment and dwell on. So where have we received Something that is worth more than the things we want to hold on to. And there are a number of possibilities that are wrapped up in what we call the good news of Jesus. It may be that what is most important to us, most significant to us is eternal life, that death is not the end, that we can be and will be reunited with loved ones who've gone ahead of us in Christ, that the trials and pain and suffering of this world are temporary and short-lived and that the the glory of heaven and the joy and the peace and the, the beauty of heaven will last and far outweigh the difficulty of this life. And it may be that if we stop for a few moments, we realize that that is worth more than anything else in this world. And we really want to hold on to that. And we would trade anything for that. It may be that what is worth more than anything else is what Jesus offered time and again to those who followed him, which was a cleansed conscience, forgiveness, mercy, grace, And all the regret and pain and guilt and self-recrimination and low self-esteem, Jesus transformed in everyone he encountered. He washed it away. He cleansed people. Those who felt they were terrible, terrible people. Those who were conscious of the terrible, terrible things they had done. Jesus had the ability by the power of his spirit to gently wash that away and cleanse. And that he offered redemption. He offered a new start. He offered a beginning again. He offered to those who felt their life was completely broken and wrong and damaging and a failure. He offered the, play, the, the power to start again and become used and of significance again. And that may be what is of most value to us that God has taken our broken lives, taken our failure, and he is offering and given a new start. It may be that the thing that is of most significance to us is the purpose that he brings when he asks us to follow him that when he calls us to live a life of sacrificial love and care and generosity and compassion and empathy for our neighbour, that when he invites us to use the gifts uh, that he created within us, that when he calls us to use the time and breath that he's given us, that that gives us such a sense of purpose and meaning that we feel a sense of significance, that we feel God has taken us and and given a reason for living, giving a meaningful life. And I guess for me, that's probably the most significant thing of the good news in my own story, in my own life. That for me, life isn't meaningless and pointless and empty, but that God has called me and equipped me to do things that he's prepared in advance for me to do, to just use the talents and skills and passions and energy that he's already given me. And that has created a sense of value. My identity, as I've spoken about recently in Ezra, is, I, is of a servant of Christ. I'm a child of God. I am loved and valued, worth the death of Jesus to redeem and restore me. It may be that all of those things are precious to us. It may be that some of those things we have taken for granted and it might be worth digging deep into what life would be like without them because I want to encourage us to be in the same place as Mary, where this package of good news is worth more than so much that our world would cling to. We might be able to be in the same place as Mary and say, you know what, that is worth £30,000 or whatever my gift is to Christian ministry whatever my tithe is, or my more than tithe, that in comparison to what Jesus has done for me, it's worth it. Because that's what Mary is doing as she anoints Jesus. She's saying, look, in comparison, this 30,000 pound bottle of Perthium is nothing in comparison to the love that we have already experienced. And I wonder if what Jesus has done for us is worth more than the comfort that we'd perhaps try to hold on to. I imagine that in that room it was uncomfortable, that she was uh, not only by Judas, but as the other account says, by others in the room, criticised. It might have been much easier for her just to join Martha in serving the meal. There are times when what Jesus asks of us is uncomfortable It requires a bit of conflict or difficulty. It requires effort and hard work. It's painful. But she's saying the comfort of sitting in the back room and making the drinks is far out surpassed by what Jesus has done. And sometimes we need to come to a point of saying, you know what, Jesus is worth more than all the comfort and all the popularity that I might try and win and earn that it's worth it to be uncomfortable for a a season of my life, that it's worth it not to have the nicest house. It's worth it not to have the best phone. It's worth it not to have the fastest car. It's worth it not to have the best wardrobe. It's worth it that there are times when we wonder where the next uh, few pennies are coming from that it's worth it when people ridicule us or reject us or stand against us because of what Jesus has done and because to be in his service and to be able to say, I'm doing the will of God, to be able to say, I'm doing what Jesus asked of me, is worth more than these things. She washes Jesus' feet with her tears. That is a humiliating thing. We've talked before about how feet were often caked in the, the things that donkeys and cattle and oxen had left behind. Mixed with dirt and, and uh, sand and dust. And with her emotion and tears, she cleans. She has demeaned herself to the lowest slave of all. Because it's worth it because she wants to express to everybody in the room, but particularly to Jesus, she wants him to know how much she loves him. And that's the second aspect. She needed to express the depth of her love for Jesus. And it may be that, We're not quite at that point. So our prayer is, Lord, help me to open my eyes to your love such that when I know your love for me, everything else fits into place and is easy to give up. I want to suggest that there are five elements to expressing our love. And it's not one of the five. We do one of the five and the other four don't matter. It's not even that we do four of the five and the other one doesn't matter. It's that all of these come as a package and the first part of our expression to Jesus, for, of our love for him, is our words. As we reflect on his eternal life, on his redemption, on his cleansing, on his calling on us, what words might be costly for us to say and mean? Remember, this gift is costly to her. There is a personal cost and sacrifice to what she has given. What are the words that are hard for us to say? But actually, when we say them, they reveal the depth. And so we want to say them because we want Jesus to know how much we love him. Maybe the words are, I love you. And that's hard to say. Maybe we're a bit stiff up a lip. Maybe we find worship embarrassing. Maybe we don't want to go along with those uh, kinds of expressions of praise. Maybe we just find it hard to say, I love you in any context. And I wonder if God is calling us to express our love. But there are other words that express our love for Jesus. One of the most difficult words to say is, I forgive them. And we forgive because we love Jesus. And we forgive not only because it's best for us and best for the other person, but because we want to please Jesus. And we're so grateful for the cross. Or perhaps the words that are costly to say are, here I am. Here's my life. Use me. I wonder what words we say to express our love for Jesus. And that leads on to the second element of our fivefold uh, offering. And that's our time. What time do we feel we can't afford to give up? But actually we're saying, because I love you, Jesus, I will do, use this time. that Otherwise, I would do something more to my own taste in Maybe it's time on a Sunday, maybe it's an evening a week and we come down to church or we go to another activity and there are times when it's dark and cold and we don't want to go out. And Maybe there are Sunday mornings when we'd rather pull the covers over and stay in bed, but we, we choose to come out and serve, whether it's young people or uh, our older members of the community or whoever it is, we choose to do it. And perhaps consciously we need to go back and say, I'm doing this, Jesus, because I love you. Not because I have to. There's nobody over Mary saying, Here, you must anoint Jesus with this perfume. Why? You? There was no command to do it. There was no obligation to do it. There was no duty to do it. She did it because she wanted to. And maybe that's a prayer for us to say, Lord, help him melt my heart that I would want to do these things. And maybe that at a moment of enthusiasm, we signed up for something, but it gets harder. And so we remind ourselves that I'm doing this because I love Jesus. Which leads us on to the third element of saying, I'm not only giving my time, but I'm giving my effort. It's not simply something that I put my feet up and there it is, but actually there is a degree of difficulty that might be to do with preparation. I'm gonna put the work in because I want to do this well. We spoke a little bit last Sunday in Ezra about doing everything as for God. And we do that because we love him. We do that because we want him to know how grateful we are. Or we continue with something that it would be easier to give up. And we, want, we do it because we love him. We don't do it to impress anybody else. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love him. Fourthly, it is this area of money. And I say deliberately that these five things come together. We can't say, Jesus, I love you, but you're not having any of my money. We don't love Jesus, if we say that. Judas was in it for what it did for him. And when he could see that he wasn't going to get anything from it, he criticized. And so often it's tempting to get involved in Christianity for what we perceive God will do for us. And it's such a painful and dead end place to be. But when we become liberated and we discover what God has done for us and therefore our hearts are are warmed and moved and we go, Lord, thank you. This is what I want to do for you. We're transformed. So here's a question. What costly figure might God be asking us to donate? as an expression of our love. And that final thing is our possessions. And, and so the question is, what can we share that is scary? Because they might break it or they might not give it back. They might trash our house. They might dent our car. What is it that God says, would you offer this to me? Three questions for us to reflect on that we've brought together. What has Jesus done for us? How is our gratitude expressed in an extravagant and costly way? And where does a mindset of receiving cause us to resent our offering? How might we express our love? I'm going to pray before we just look at the next verse, which we'll come on to next time. But let me pray. Lord, will you... Remind us of what you've done for us. By your Holy Spirit, will you set our hearts aflame? Will you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Will you help us to return to our first love? Will you forgive us where we have taken for granted what you have done for us, where we have neglected the the discipline of thankfulness, where we have thought it was all what we deserved? And Lord, will you help us to offer what you're worth Not what we can spare, but what you're worth. Will you help us to join in with Mary and give what is extravagant because you're our God and we love you. Amen. And that final verse is where Jesus said, having said, uh, uh, leave her alone, he says, you will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. That's what I'm going to look at next time. Not one of my easiest verses, but we'll come back to that in a week's time. Cheerio.